Thanks for listening to the Revelation Lecture Podcast, an audio service of the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary Library. For more, please visit www.wls.wells.net. Lecture 1, Part C. Now, um, the book of Revelation is written in symbolic language. It, um, it pictures um, the events of the future in symbolism. And it speaks of um, the church and of its enemies uh, in pictures and symbols. Now, um, some of those symbols are identified for us. Very definitely, the book tells you what the symbol means. For example, in chapter 1, um, you read about Christ standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. John had a vision in which he saw the Savior stand walking uh, in the midst of seven candlesticks. Now, the Savior is not identified, um, and um, I want to say more about that, too, a little bit later. Uh, but I just want to speak of it now as a, by way of illustration. So Jesus is standing in the middle of these seven golden candlesticks. Now what does that mean? At the end of the chapter it says, the seven candlesticks, the seven golden candlesticks, are the seven churches of Asia Minor. The seven churches of Asia Minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Um, those are the seven uh, cities that you have on that map on the first page of your outline. Now, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. Now, you probably would not know that un unless Jesus had, um, unless John had told us that, or Jesus had told John that. Jesus told John the seven candlesticks are the uh, seven churches. Or uh, the seven candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. Now, um, Jesus is walking in the midst of the seven golden, golden candlesticks. What does that mean? If the seven churches are the seven golden candlesticks, then Jesus walking in the midst of the seven churches, of the seven candlesticks, means Jesus is walking in the midst of his church. Now, many Christians um, who all confessed every Sunday morning, perhaps already at that time, that Christ ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, might get the notion that Jesus has gone far away, huh? Um, some Christians might think that way. John says, no, Jesus isn't far away. He's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And the seven golden, golden candlesticks are the seven churches. So Jesus is with his church till today. Even if the Bible, however, did not tell us that the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, you could go through the Bible and say, um, when the Bible talks about candlesticks, about candles that are set up on a stick, on a, on a lampstand, um, what, what does it talk about? You remember the parable of, parables of Jesus, or the parables in which Jesus said that when a man lights a candle, he does not put it under a bushel, but he puts it on a candlestick so that it may give light to all that are in the house? And the same Jesus who talked that way said to his disciples, ye are the light of the world. So the Christians are the light of the world. Christians are a candle that have been lit uh, by the Lord, and the Lord has set them on a candlestick. Huh? And the Christians who are the light of the world form the congregations, and the Christians in Asia Minor belong to these seven churches in Asia Minor. So that we could 
probably, with a great deal of definiteness, figure out what the seven golden candlesticks are, even if Jesus had not told us in the very first chapter. But by telling us that, he shows us uh, that he's talking in symbols. When he says seven candlesticks, he doesn't mean seven candlesticks. He means seven churches. And when he talks about the big red dragon, he identifies him. The big red dragon in chapter 12 is named. At first, he's just a red dragon that appears and tries to eat up the, a man-child that is being born. And then in verse, uh, about verse 12 of chapter 12, I guess it's about verse 12, maybe it's a little bit before that, it says, uh, the red dragon is the, is, is the old serpent or Satan or the devil. So there the red dragon is identified as the devil. Now, um, you have many, many cases of, uh, like that in the book of Revelation where you have a symbol that is then identified for you in the words of the text itself. Other symbols are not identified for us in the text, but you can easily figure out what they are by paying attention to the rest of the Bible. Um, somebody said that nobody ought to read the book of Revelation until he has read the rest of the Bible through a half dozen times. And there's a great deal of good advice in that. Because if you come to the book of Revelation with a good background in biblical knowledge, then a lot of the symbols that are used in the book of Revelation you know already. For example, in, the, in chapter 1, um, Jesus appears to John. And by the way, he never is named Jesus. Um, it just says, John, John says, I saw one like the Son of Man. But I'm sure that everyone will recognize the Lord Jesus when you read chapter 1, even though his name isn't given. We know who that person is who appears to him. But when Jesus is described, John sees him as a two, with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Instead of a tongue, he has a two-edged sword in his mouth. Now, um, I'm sure that all of you are immediately, or most of you are immediately reminded of another Bible passage which speaks of a sword that might be said to come out of the mouth of Jesus. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So in, that's in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. You know another passage that's familiar to you from uh, the one of the epistle lessons. Take the sword of the Spirit. Remember that passage about putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You see why the sword comes out of Jesus' mouth? See, what comes out of Jesus' mouth is his word, huh? And John sees him in this picture with a, a sword coming out of his mouth, which we can immediately identify as the word of God, even though it doesn't say that in so many words. Another aspect of the symbolism is the use of colors in Revelation. I'm not going to say a lot about that except this, that the color white is used a number of times, and the color white in every case... Um, now, um, let me put it this way. The color white, I, I'm willing to say it the other way too, uh, but um, uh, just to be absolutely safe and sure in what you say, I would say the color white in, all, in every case where it is used in a way 
that you can clearly see what is meant by the color always indicates innocence and purity. Um, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He that overcometh will walk with me in white. He shall wear white clothing. And of course, that's nothing new to you. Because this is exactly the way um, the prophet Isaiah spoke of sinlessness and purity in his book when he said, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Uh, that simply is a way of saying your sins are all going to be washed away, right? And in every case where the context makes it very clear what is meant by the color white, it is clearly a symbol of sinlessness and of purity. There's only one place that is disputed, and that's Revelation chapter 6, verse uh, 2, uh, where you see the white horse. And um, the rider on the white horse is by some commentators, some Lutheran commentators, and identified as a symbol of the Antichrist. And I don't think that's true. I think the rider on the white horse is Christ himself. Um, and uh, the symbol of Antichrist is um, the color red, really. The, enemy, the, enemies, the enemies of um, the church are symbolized by the color red. The dragon is a big red dragon. See? But the color and the war is the red horse. Um, famine is the black horse. Uh, death is the pale horse. But um, the white horse, the rider on the white horse, I'm convinced is the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, that's why I would say that every time the color white is used, it is a symbol of purity. Um, but that too we will talk about in a little more detail when we um, uh, come through the, to look at the individual chapters. Then the, the, another um, uh, type of symbolism that's used in the book of Revelation is the symbolism of numbers. There are certain numbers that occur again and again. Some of them, again, you can pin down beyond question and say, this number stands for this. Uh, that's true, for example, of the number 12 and all of its forms. Um, whether it's 12 or 24 or 144 or 144,000, um, these are all variations. These, all, these numbers all involve the factor 12. See? And every time you find one of those numbers, that either 12 or some multiple of 12, every single time there is a reference to the church. No question about it. The number 10 is not quite as easy uh, to um, be absolutely sure about. But 10 and its multiples, 10 and 100 and 1,000, I think, I'm convinced for myself, I, I would not insist that somebody else, I would insist that everybody has to recognize that if he, if he can't say that 12 is associated with the church, he just doesn't um, read the book of Revelation carefully. The number 10 and all its multiples, um, I'm convinced, means completeness. <coughs> And so when you say a thousand years, that means the whole period. Ten days, the whole period. See? Um, the period during which something is going to happen. During the whole time, it's a, uh, during the whole time that is set by God for this particular 
um, uh, this particular um, event or this particular sign or symbol. Then the, the next number that is um, very, very prominent in the book, probably the most prominent number in the book is the number seven. Seven in the Old Testament is the sacred number which might be said to be the, the covenant number. Uh, you all know, for example, that the seventh day was a sacred day in the ceremonial law. The seventh month was a holy month. Now, we, some, that's something that uh, may not be as clear to you, but there were, seven, there were seven major festivals that the Jews celebrated every year. Um, you know three of them, um, Passover and Pentecost, Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. So that you have seven major festivals. Um, two of those festivals lasted for seven days. On every one of the days of those festivals, um, now here again, you know, I have to make a little adjustment, but let me just say, on almost every one of the days, days of those seven festivals, um, whether they were one day long or seven days long, seven bullocks were offered as a special sacrifice, except on the, on the Feast of Tabernacles. On the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, on the seven days, you had 13 bullocks sacrificed the first day, 12 the second day, 11 the third day, 10 the fourth day, 9 the fifth day, 8 the sixth day, and 7 on the seventh day. But add them together, what do you get? 7 plus 13 is 20, 8 plus 12 is 20, 11 plus 9 is 20, and 10 makes a total of 70. So you get 7 times 10. Um, uh, animals that were sacrificed on the Great Day of Atonement. Always the number seven. Even when it doesn't appear that you have seven, you finally end up with a multiple of seven. Now, um, not, so that these last four festivals were all in the seventh month. The, the first day of the seventh month, the tenth day of the seventh month, the fourteenth to the twenty-first, and the twenty-second. All were festival days. That takes up most of the month, really. Um, so the seventh month is a holy month. Every seventh year was a sabbatical year or a holy year. So that, um, and so often, in other cases too, you read about seven, seven animals being sacrificed. So the number seven is very closely associated with um, uh, the um, Old Testament ceremonial law. The number seven is also very closely associated with the book of Revelation. Um, you have, for example, the seven churches, the seven letters to the seven churches, the seven angels of the seven churches. Um, the uh, seven, um, the seven letters to the seven churches, the um, seven trumpet, the, the, the um, vision of the seven trumpets, the vision of the seven seals, the vision of the seven um, vials or the seven bottles, the seven bowls, whatever you want to call them. I'm not quite sure what the, even now what the NIV you what word the NIV uses. The the uh, King James uses the word vials or bottles. Um, now, if you uh, uh, study the book of Revelation uh, a little more carefully, you discover that the book is divided into seven sections. Uh, five of the seven sections are divided into seven subsections. And there are many places where the number seven occurs um, without it being mentioned. For example, um, in uh, chapter, let's see if I can um, see it, uh, spot it immediately, but in um, Yeah, in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 12. Would you take a look at that? 
He saw these angels um, uh, sit around the throne and the uh, saved people standing around the throne sing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and, th and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Count them. See, seven different words that are used to express their praise of God. Um, so that we might say that in the book of Revelation, the number seven is the number of the covenant between God and men. So seven, the covenant between God and men.